You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good evening. This evening we're going to be looking at and listening to the word of God from Jeremiah. So if you open your bulletins to page 11 and or the Pew Bibles to page 650, looking at chapter 3 verses chapter 23 verses 1 through 11. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask that you would forgive the sins of the preacher, for they are many. We ask that you would send your spirit to do two things, that you would expose the center of all of our longing, and that you give us the only one that will satisfy us. In his name we pray, Jesus Christ, amen. So in tonight's passage from Jeremiah, we kind of step in midstream, Jeremiah being one of the more lengthy prophetic books. I mean, who sits around reading the full book of Jeremiah? Maybe you do because you're holier than I am. It's a collection of cycles of prophecy. There are lots of cycles put into this book which span considerable lengths of time. And the particular cycle that we're in right now begins in chapter 21. And these are the prophecies that are declared to the wayward kings of Judah particularly one of the kings of Judah named Zedekiah that you can read all about in the final chapters of 2 Kings. These kings are critiqued and are called to the mat because they're unfaithful shepherds who will destroy and scatter the sheep, so our passage says. This critique really is the climax of this whole prophetic cycle starting in chapter 21, the punchline of, of all the rebuke. But as the prophets do... This passage turns to the hope that's on the other side of all that prophetic denunciation. And Jeremiah relays three promises of unspeakable comfort. He says first in verse 3, that God will gather back his scattered people. And second in verses 4 through 6, God will give them a new leader. And third in verses 7 through 8, this leader will secure for them a permanent home. I thought as I was preparing this message that God was going to have me preach on bad leadership and putting our hope in Jesus. Those of you who know my story and my own ministry journey know that I'm no stranger to the mega failures of prominent public pastors and spiritual leaders, and I have all the scars and the therapy bills to prove it. But the more the Lord began preaching this passage to my heart, the more I was hearing a different message. And so what the Lord is doing in me, I invite you to now share in as we open up ourselves to the active and powerful work of the Word of God. I want to enter into this by talking about the cultural season that is now upon us. The holidays are always weird times. They compress our families together with all their function and dysfunction. And they kind of compress our own hearts, too. I remember in college feeling really strange, actually, coming home for the holidays. At college, I felt like while I was away, I did a lot of changing, a lot of growing up. But when I came home, it's like I rewound back to 18-year-old Zach with my parents. And I kind of felt that tension every time I would come home. And that tension never really went away year after year, Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving, Christmas after Christmas. Studies show that we are prone to have these complex feelings, especially 
uh, around our families during the points of life transition, when we're making a big old switch. And many of you know that I grew up in Hawaii, Honolulu, right in the middle of the city. You know, me and Tua, we were like best friends. Um, I went to college in Los Angeles, but I was used to coming home for the holidays, especially in my summer. And every summer I'd come home, it was like I was navigating an increasingly bigger ball of awkward with my parents. My junior year, though, my parents did what many empty nesters do in that season of life. They moved away. They moved back to the mainland, as we call it when we grew up in Hawaii. I certainly felt like I lost my home. I would visit them in their new home, but it certainly I couldn't bring myself to call it home. It was not my home. It was where my parents lived. Fast forward almost 15 years. I was living in Florida with Abby and my four kids, and I got a call out of the blue from my Christian high school back in Hawaii, and they invited me to come speak for a week-long student conference. And so I was really pumped. I was finally going back home after a long time of not being there, and I was excited to reconnect with all the people in my life who had meant so much to me, you know, significant teachers and my extended church family, or ohana, as we would call it. Hawaiian culture has a tradition of calling significant adults in your life auntie and uncle. And so I was excited to see Auntie Lily and Uncle Ron and Auntie Jane and Uncle Rob and Auntie Arlene. Unfortunately, that week-long trip ended up being one of the worst experiences of my life. There were a host of reasons why it was difficult, but the more I get distance from it, the more I come to the conclusion that it was horrible because I had to finally confront the fact that I'd forever lost my home. My parents weren't there. People had changed. My school had changed. My church had changed. I had changed. Homeless. That's what I felt. I think that ache, that ache deep down, is what many of us, whether we know it or not, are feeling around the holidays. We come into the proximity of the people of home. And some of us may still even come into the proximity of the locations of home. But even when you're there with those old familiar people in those old familiar places, you're never quite there. We have this primal instinct that's coming out of us to grab and to clutch our home and our childhood. And as we hit the holidays, that instinct kind of pushes us there. And so we reach out and grab for it but it slips through our hands, kind of like trying to grab water. The Bible, in the passages like the one tonight from Jeremiah, remind us that in these moments of aching for home and never quite finding it, something deeper is actually going on. As deep as our psychology is, as complex as our families of origin are, the Bible tells us that we could never figure it out fully on our own we actually need its revelation to tell us what's really going on. And what's really going on is that you and I were created by God with an implanted homing beacon. And that homing beacon starts blinking and beeping when we hear of this home that we're created for. Before humanity rebelled against God, as recorded in Genesis 3, that homing beacon was holding a solid red, perpetually fulfilled and complete, perpetually home. And after sin corrupted humanity and the fall occurred and creation was marred, 
The homing beacon remained, although it became an irregular and kind of faulty piece of equipment, not unlike a 10 to 20-year-old pacemaker or something like that. But anytime God would step into humanity over the course of history and start to declare his word and his promises, some of those faulty homing beacons would start to go off. And something deep and primal and ancient in us goes off whenever you and I hear those same promises and words from God. Maybe you felt it even a little bit as the prophecy from Jeremiah was coming out tonight. Did you hear it in verses 7 through 8? Behold, the days are coming when they will say, as the Lord lives who brought up the offspring and led them out of the Uh, the house of Israel, out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Then they shall be home. Beep, 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 beep. C.S. Lewis, in his amazing essay, The Weight of Glory, he calls this homing beacon that every human being has our desire for our own far-off country. He says... In speaking of this desire for our own far-off country, which we find in ourselves even now, I feel a certain shyness. I'm almost committing an indecency. I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you, the secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence. The secret also which pierces and with such sweetness that when in very intimate conversation the mention of it becomes imminent, we grow awkward and affect to laugh at ourselves. The secret we cannot hide and cannot tell, though we desire to do both. We cannot tell it because it is a desire for something that we never have actually experienced or has actually appeared. We cannot hide it because our experience is constantly suggesting it and we betray ourselves like lovers at the mention of a name. Lewis goes on to talk about how all the the nostalgic experiences that surprise and and overwhelm us, such as when we re-encounter a book that we read once or uh, when we hear a piece of music. He talks about those things. And one of my closer friends tells me that one of the reasons he likes reading the Harry Potter series, for instance, is that he can relive his childhood. You know, he becomes a kid again. I was thumbing through Instagram recently, this past week, and all these ads, they've targeted me. All these ads keep popping up for all these retro gaming systems that you can plug in with an HDMI port, right? With one little HDMI dongle, I can get Mario Brothers, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, Tecmo Bowl. Waves of nostalgia came over me. This past Wednesday morning, I was driving to work, and I have no idea why, but a song came to my mind that I hadn't heard since I was like 16 years old. So I pulled it up on my phone and I started listening to it. Two blocks from the advent, right over there on 6th Avenue, I just started bawling. I really couldn't explain why. For some of you, maybe it's Disney World. For others, New York City. For others, a lake or a farm. For others, maybe a meal or a photograph or a smell. Lewis goes on to say that all those nostalgic experiences will always betray us if we try to put our trust in them. 
He says that we must recognize that the feelings we have in those moments find their ultimate conclusion and their ultimate rest, their ultimate home, not in those things, but actually through those things. He says that what you felt in that nostalgic experience was longing. It was the sound of the homing beacon going off. In Lewis's words, these things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. Maybe you felt that when you've had those moments of trying to recreate your past or go to those places of nostalgia and they never quite satisfy. The prophecy of Jeremiah tonight spells something out for us that's a bit shocking. It ties our future home as Christians to a person. It says in verse 5 that a righteous branch of David will be raised up and will rule and reign. And verse 6 says, in his days... Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. Listen to this. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, there's a really significant wordplay in Hebrew going on here that we all need to recognize in this prophecy. As we said at the time of the prophecy, the despicable king Zedekiah is on the throne of Judah. And so let me pronounce Zedekiah's name a little bit closer to a Hebrew-style pronunciation. Zedekiah. Now listen again to verse 6 with some of the Hebrew words behind the English ones unveiled. And this is the name that he will be called. Yahweh is our Zedek. The Lord is our righteousness. The king that could never really be king for you will give way to a new and greater Zedekiah. The nostalgic home projects that you've embarked upon, that you've sought, will give way to a new and greater Zedekiah, a new and greater righteousness, Lord. Paul answers the question of who this branch of David, this Zedekiah, this righteousness God is. He says in Romans 3, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, apart from all your nostalgic home projects, the righteousness of God through faith in, here is name, Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward to show the Zedek of Yahweh, to show the righteousness of God. You know, as we approach the season of Advent, which starts next week, by the way, I can't believe it, we recognize the strange fact of the incarnation of Jesus. When Jesus took on flesh and came to earth, he took the straight timeline pointing to our future heavenly home, and he bent it, and he bent down heaven to us, and he relocated our home from out there to right here. Right here. And his incarnation had a particular purpose. It wasn't simply that he took on flesh. It was that in taking on our flesh, he took on our homelessness and our wayward attempts at trying to find home. It's why in the middle of his ministry, he said, the foxes have holes 
And the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And in his incarnation, he grabbed all of our homelessness and bundled it up, carried it to the grave. And there, at his graveside, all your faulty home projects, they died too. And then he rose again, permanently to seal that he would be our forever home. And the big surprise of tonight's word, according to God, is that the home that we're all longing for isn't a place. It's a person. Tonight, again, there's an opportunity to come to Jesus, our home. But it first involves some pain, some real pain. We have to get real. We have to come clean. We have to say, Jesus... My true home. I confess that I've been trying to find home in 10,000 other places. I confess that I put my trust there, and my hope there, my longing there, my security there, my comfort there. And that's what confession of sin actually is. Simultaneously presenting to our maker, number one, all the false homes that we put our trust in, and number two, the gaping hole of our homeless condition. And that's painful work. It's hard work. But Jesus' eager response to that painful confession is this. As your Lord of righteousness, I love you. I forgive you. And I offer you, right here and right now, these sure promises from my mouth to your ears. I will take you up out of the countries where you have been driven and you will dwell in your own land. What I'm going to do now with this construct of home in place is actually read Jesus' literal promises to you recorded in scripture. I'm going to read four of them. These are his words, not mine. Maybe as we come to the table tonight, which is definitely supposed to be a foretaste of home. (laughs) You can hear these promises with new ears. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again to take you to myself that where I am, you may be there also. Take, eat, this is my body. Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I will not drink of it again, this fruit of the vine, until the day when I drink it new with you. In my Father's kingdom. Welcome home. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.